This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. fellow lgbts it's pride month you know what that means sorry cishets you're out of here <laughs> banned from the podcast i'm just kidding uh actually maybe i'm not <laughs> uh all the cishets have to leave except for uh my mom and my nana and ezra's mom uh, uh adam do you have any any cis, uh, cisgender heterosexual people that you want to whitelist uh you know are all of our lovely Sisset patrons. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Their Slates are allowed to stay. For legal they, reasons, yes. for legal reasons, this is a joke. <laughs> for legal reasons, this is a joke. Please don't leave. <laughs> Please stay. Because we want uh, everybody to come celebrate uh, Pride Month. It is June 1st. Woo! If you could not tell Woo! by all of the company's social all media logos turning rainbow... Uh, it's that time of year, folks. Uh, happy Pride Month from us here at the Great American Scream. Hopefully it is uh, more... Um, hopefully we actually get to do things this Pride Month uh, you <laughs> instead know. of last year. Um, but we would like to celebrate uh, Pride Month this year. Uh, with Last year we did one special episode for Pride where we talked about uh, kind of like the queer community in horror film as a whole. But this uh, year for Pride Month, I would like to dedicate the whole entire month to episodes based around our favorite queer horror creators and films and tropes uh, with some exciting surprises, some special guests, and uh, something fun coming your way at the end of the month with a couple of other queer uh, horror creators out there. So. <laughs> That's, that's all. That's my job this month. I'm just supposed to be a hype man. <laughs> that's uh, all coming for you this month. So uh, do tune in with us. Uh, we're going to be doing some stuff we've never done, done before. Uh, we're going to be doing a commentary track to oh. uh, a very gay horror movie uh, that yes. we won't reveal yet. But if you're, I'll give you a hint. If it's the, it's probably the one you're thinking it's, of. Yeah, <laughs> think of the one that you think it is. Yeah, you're probably it's right. that one. Um, but to start us off, to kind of kick us off, um, I wanted to talk about an absolute like titan of horror whose work really hasn't been discussed on this show too much before. And it's kind of a yeah. wonder how he hasn't come up yet because he is like not the gay Stephen King and that like his work. I mean, his work is pretty queer, yeah. but like just the fact that he's as good as Stephen King Plus, he's gay, so... Right. He's, he's not the gay Stephen King because he's just the Clive Barker. Yeah. Um, he's Clive Barker is responsible for one of my favorite horror movies of all time, which is Candyman. Um, and if you don't know his name, you probably know his work, as his stories have been adapted into franchises like the Candyman films and also Hellraiser, which Hell is yeah. and really interesting horror franchise that we have not talked a lot about on the show before. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to talk about it. Um, the uh, Clive Barker's horror is very 
I guess Faustian would be a, a good way to describe it. It's indulgent. It's about hedonism. It's like high art. Uh, it's pretty sexual as well. Uh, and it's super over the top uh, in a really fun way, which I think like when we talk about his stories being queer, that's how they're queer. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they are uh, like hedonistic is the right word. Mm-hmm. Like they are like really uh, when like high art is such a weird way to 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 describe them but that's kind of true like he doesn't have a like peer in terms of tone kind of like is off in his own place mm-hmm. kind of just kind of messing around and we're all like yeah good job you <laughs> it looks wild it's- it's not high art as in it's like pretentious. I think it has like high art like themes as in and like high art it's, like visuals. Like yeah. it's just it's very it's it's toothy. It's a toothy watch. Yeah, and that's know? the thing is like they're not quite splatter, nor are they like monsters, but they're still grotesque. Yeah. I think is a good way to describe it. Ah, you have hedonistic here. Yes, very good. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, I think grotesque is a is a really good way to to describe it as like not just because gro- it is gross, but the yeah. word grotesque adds this kind of like <laughs> this French to it. flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's how I feel about Clive Barker's work. Um, I last Christmas, I really got into his work uh, last Christmas. Um, a friend of mine for Christmas gave me a bunch of his uh, novels and short stories, but they were the like editions that they printed in the eighties, so the covers are all wild. Oh um, yeah. Uh, we need so to I'm, bring that back. I want yeah. most things. I was about to say most horror things, but I think I'm going to extend it to most things to take on the uh, the visual style of a video game or a or a van painting from like 1978. Oh, so oh, like a yeah, cool yeah, yeah. wizard or like <laughs> the original like Dragon's Quest, but the American version art style mm-hmm. where it's all like flowy and or like lisa frank my assignment it has to be one or the other (laughs) i think they go hand in hand though they hold hands um yeah i i've just been eating these books up i'm reading the damnation game right now and i have been really loving it uh so i want to talk about him more because i don't think he is uh often is like i don't want to say recognizes and he's not like recognized for his work because he absolutely is but like there's a lot of like young queer horror fans out there who don't know who Clive Barker is. Yeah. Uh, and you should because he's spectacular. Um, so Clive Barker, let's, a little bit about the man himself. Uh, he was born on October 5th, 1952 in Liverpool, England. Happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> before uh, he began to write short stories and novels, he was a playwright and worked in theaters. Uh, and he founded the avant-garde theater troupe, The Dog Company, in 1978. And you can tell that his work has a lot in common with avant-garde theater. Uh, or what's it like, Artaud? Like theater, uh, uh, what's not it, theater, theater of the what? Not theater, theater of the absurd. But no, 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 the other the, one. The one that's painful. Uh, the, the, oh, I don't remember. I don't remember what it is. I'm so sorry listen, to my it's been freshman five year. years since I was in, I was in a... <laughs> real college class i'm so sorry to my freshman year intro to theater studies professor because i do not remember what this theater was called um but it was like it's very artodian um 
Anyway, this would definitely be a precursor to the work that he'd end up doing. Uh, but this is where he met uh, the actor Doug Bradley, who would go on to play Pinhead in all of the Hellraiser movies. Who are um, you calling Pinhead? <laughs> and we'll talk more about Pinhead later. But uh, I like that they met doing, like, this is this is for all the, the theater school kids out there. But they always told us in theater school, it's like, oh, like, you're going to make, like, relationships with people now that you'll, those are the people that you'll be working with in 10, 15 years. And we're all like, yeah, psh. And spoiler alert, the reason that is because they don't give you the tools to get hired by professionals. So you have to make your own yeah. companies <laughs> and projects. And that's why you work with your friends. Yeah, but this warms my heart that they met doing theater together. And then this man, Doug Bradley, got uh, this 10-film franchise uh, and yeah. playing one of the most iconic horror villains ever. Yeah, if you're ever worried about finding work, just remember, you can make a friend who will cast you as Pinhead and Hellraiser or <laughs> will uh, text you one day and ask you to make a podcast. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, so he would close out his theatrical career when he began working on... He wrote a lot of plays, a lot, a lot of plays. Um, but uh, he began writing uh, probably one of his most famous series and his first kind of breakthrough into the horror literature industry, which is called Books of Blood. Um, and his approach to horror, and we will see this in the works we talk about, it's very organic and very personal and very rooted in like human nature. Um, and he says, uh, I was watching a lot of interviews with him and he says that everything important that's ever happened to him is in his books or his plays somewhere. However, absurdly he has to deal with them and in whatever horrific way he has to deal with them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really great. Cause you can tell that. All of, of so much of Clive Barker's work comes with like the exaggeration of, of what humans are already afraid of about themselves and about other people. Uh, right. And, yeah. I feel like organic and like kind of personal or relatable is a way to like uh, modify our descriptors earlier. Like the idea that it's high art and it's grotesque and it's like kind of almost campy, but mm -hmm. the the organicness and the groundedness really like it uh i always want to say complexify but complicate <laughs> is the word uh like the relate the like viewer's relationship to the like style that he's doing it's so it's like very much both high art unattainable like Un, like undiscernible and then very grounded and personal at the same time. Yeah. And when we talk, uh, cause there's a little bit more about like his, his backstory, him as a person that we'll talk about later because it roots so deeply to Hellraiser. But I want to talk about books of blood first. Cause that was his like really big breakthrough into the horror industry. Uh, it is a series of six, six horror anthology books released from 1984 to 1985. That is six anthologies in one year. Uh uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, they were an absolute smash hit when they were released, and they really helped establish him as a prominent horror writer. Uh, and Stephen King, after reading these, was quoted as saying, "I have seen the future of horror, uh, and his name is Clive Barker." Uh, oh my which god! Is what I hope Stephen King says about us one day. <laughs> yeah, I want that to be my like, text e even if code. it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he specifically says it as a joke. Yeah. Um, I'd like to show you a couple of examples of stories from the series. Uh, okay, I will spoil a few of them. Uh, so there is one called Sex, Death, and Starshine. Uh, so this guy named Terry Calloway is directing Twelfth Night in this rundown theater and is having an affair with his leading lady, Diane. Uh, okay. And she's like in a soap opera. So uh, 
that they're like stunt casting her because she's a terrible actress, but uh, they're they're bringing her in to get people in the seats. Um, and then a mysterious masked man, Mr. Litchfield, uh, expresses dissatisfaction with Diane's casting as Viola, a very fan of the opera. End of Act One. Okay. Um, on the day of the final rehearsal, Litchfield states that his wife Constantino will play the role instead because she's a better actress. Uh, Diane removes Litchfield's mask to reveal him as an animated corpse. Again, very fan of the opera. Okay. Uh, Litchfield kisses Diane and then she slips into a coma. So then Constantina takes over the role of Viola. And then when Diane recovers, Terry like sleeps with her and then realizes that she is now undead too. And then she kills him. And then the play opens to a packed house. And after the performance, the actors realize the audience consists entirely of ghosts and the reanimated dead. Uh, yes. Uh, the theater trustee burns down the theater and every living player is killed. And then all the actors and the people who have died uh, become this traveling repertory company of the undead on the road. Adam, you have just described my dream career. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I, right. My one hope in life is to perform something in a theater and then the house lights come up and it is revealed that it's all ghosts. <laughs> Oh, it's been ghosts zombies. the whole time. I, I feel like it's a very like Beetlejuicy in kind of afterlife uh, to be like a traveling repertory company of zombies and trademark, trademark, by the way. Oh, trademark. Um, <laughs> it is very Beetlejuice. It's got um, real Beetlejuice energy. Yeah. Um, here's another one. It's called The Body Politic. Uh, and in it's a, it's a revolution, but the people doing the revolution are our hands and they have gained their own consciousness and are not no longer happy about being yes. ordered what to do by their owners. Um, and the hands of a factory worker named Charlie plan to lead this revolution. Charlie's hands even have their own personalities with left being more cautious and right being very determined and proclaiming himself as the Messiah. Uh, and then okay. right chops off left against Charlie's oh. own wishes. Uh, and then left scuttles away uh, to summon other hands to do the same before returning to rescue right, uh, starting an unfortunate revolution for the population where everybody lops off their own hands. It's nice how left, even while being, you know, cautious uh, and not as not as grandiose as right, still comes back to to rescue him. That's nice. yeah, right. Um, I, this is good. <laughs> I like this. I think that this is actually a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Books of Blood is also where we get the origin story for Candyman, uh, which is called The Forbidden. Uh, it's pretty similar to the plot of the film, but in the short story, uh, Helen is a university student doing a thesis on graffiti who selects a rundown estate as the focus for her study. She notices disturbing graffiti that references an urban legend called The Candyman. And then further inquiries lead her to believe that this is connected with recent murders and mutilations, although the locals are reluctant to discuss the incidents. And then she eventually encounters the Candyman himself. Uh, this, of course, famously got adaption to a movie starring Tony Todd, who is my favorite people in this mm. universe. Um, I consider Candyman to be one of the greatest horror movies just ever. It was not particularly successful at the time. It became this really big cult classic. Um, I think the thing about cult films, like a lot of times cult films are cult films because of their, they are bad. But uh, yeah. equally, the amount of times cult films are cult films because at the time we weren't ready for them as a society. And then we look back <laughs> and go, oh, no, 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 that was good. <laughs> we we didn't know, which I, I watched. Uh, or no, we did not watch. We were going to watch Detective Pikachu. <laughs> and turns out Detective Pikachu has like a 60 or like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Which is a crime. Yeah. Much like Scooby-Doo, the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a crime. And in 10 years, we're going to look back and we're going to be like, we didn't deserve Detective Pikachu. Much like today, we look back and say we didn't deserve Scoover too. Yeah, I think within the next 10 years, the live action Scooby-Doo is going to become a cult classic. Um, and we'll all go to midnight screenings of it. Anyway, um, so it stars Virginia oh, Madsen as wait, Helen. We have right? to cancel the Patreon uh, commentary track and instead do a commentary track for Scooby Doo, where we come up with the Rocky Horror Midnight <laughs> Show style things that we have to do. Okay, putting putting pin in that, putting that away for later. Okay, this okay. is definitely Tr- something we're going to do. Um, so yeah, uh, Candyman stars Virginia Madsen as Helen and Tony Todd as the Candyman, an urban legend and the ghost of an artist who enchants Helen into becoming a martyr, just like him. And then also Clive Barker is English and the original story focused on the British class system in contemporary Liverpool. Uh, but the movie is American. Uh, Bernard Rose's screenplay changed the setting to the uh, Cabrini Green public housing development in Chicago. Um to focus more on the themes of race and class in the United States, uh, both with Candyman's backstory and with the contemporary thing of like, it's very smart of the idea of Helen uh, being like this white woman coming into this uh, like predominantly black housing development and like being like doing like the research and, and being like the, the like grad student and like infringing upon uh, like protected culture and stuff like that. It's very smart and was very ahead of its time. Uh, in that way um and yeah like it's suspenseful it's smart it's scary he's got bees in his mouth at one point which, uh which is great that's all you need <laughs> um fun fact about that tony todd agreed to do that he had like a, a like a throat garden so that no bees tried to go find his tummy or whatever okay yeah um <laughs> but he uh um he agreed to do the stunt himself and i think with, with a boat with the promise that he would get a bonus of a thousand dollars per sting oh, not okay. per, per times he got stung <laughs> and he ends up getting stung like 12 times so that's pretty good yeah um and uh jordan peele is doing a we're not sure if it's a remake or they're calling it a spiritual sequel that i think is coming out in august of this year it was supposed to come out last halloween it got delayed because they want to do a theatrical release uh, i am so excited uh, I, re- I really think it's going to be good because I think Jordan Peele will do great stuff with the source material. Um, yeah, especially with the American adaptation. Yeah, exactly. I which is what I think they're love doing. I to see a, a true British adaptation of the original, mm. especially like nowadays when the political situation in the UK is like evolving so much. Mm-hmm. It could, you know, Candyman redone in Britain and there, now there's a Northern Independence Party. Yeah, definitely also. go read if you want. If you've seen the film and you haven't read the short story, definitely go back and read it uh, for uh, a, a like exploring the same themes, but in a different place. And it gives the story an entirely different, uh, but equally as interesting context. Um, but now we've talked about Candyman and Books of Blood. I want to talk about Hellraiser, which is probably what Clive Barker Ooh. is most well known for other than Candyman. Uh, so. Following Books of Blood, Barker would release The Hellbound Heart, which ends up being the first book in the Hellraiser series, which has three books in it. Uh, Way more movies than there are Hellraiser books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The Hellbound Heart follows the story of a hedonist criminal who finds a puzzle box that can be used to summon the Cenobites, who are mystical or mythical demons who cannot differentiate pain from pleasure and have devoted their existences to this kind of like sadomasochism. Um, 
and a large inspiration for, of this book is that Clive Barker did sex work in the 70s and has said that this work inspired him to write about, quote, good and evil in which sexuality was the connective tissue. Clive Barker gets more and more powerful the more I learn about him. Yeah, I know. The, and the book, like, I, it's crazy to me how people don't immediately recognize this when they see Hellraiser because it is heavily. Straight people don't understand <laughs> how much art is gay. It's so, in like, uh, both the movie and the book are heavily inspired by, like, the queer S&M clubs of the 70s and is really a prime example of the kind of horror that Barker excels at. Um, we can clearly see this in the costumes of the film. They are pretty much in horror versions of, like, leather fetish gear. Um, they're even, like, pinhead, like, has these, like, piercings, like like, bloody piercings on his exposed nipples and, like, the, the pins, yeah. you know, uh-huh. the pins in his head. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's so interesting that I always felt like Hellraiser kind of gets co-opted as like a dude bro horror film. What it is yeah. very much not. Get ready for the wrinkliest brain take that I'm yeah. ever going to have. And probably other people have said this, but I'm going to be the first to say it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's that Hellraiser is the horror version of fight club you're totally right that yeah. that's a, a really fair oh, i know assessment. i am yeah. my brain is the wrinkliest <laughs> um so of course 1987 it's guys adapted into the film hellraiser uh, a cult favorite amongst horror fans which clive barker directed as well um and this creates the character of pinhead uh, because there's, he's not like, ex- who are you calling pinhead? <laughs> he's not explicitly Post. described in the books. He never gets a name and he's not actually called pinhead in the movie either. He was nicknamed that by the makeup crew. Um, <laughs> that's so good. Uh, and in early drafts, he's like occasionally referred to as the priest. Um, but everyone calls him pinhead. Uh, in the film, the Cenobites are former humans who are transformed into these dynamic being uh, demonic beings blindly devoted to experimental sadomasochism uh and pinhead is the leader of the cenobites and is later revealed to have once been british soldier captain elliot spencer who became disillusioned with his life after world war one and joined the cenobites which again this like coming back from war thing to like delve into this this practice of like blind sadomasochism and yeah not being able to d- differentiate pain and pleasure which is like the big thing with the Cenobites is like it's yeah it's a galaxy brain Gal- uh, genius yeah, I was about, like for Clive Barker to really uh again it's like it's a horror movie right so it's like kind of gross and horrifying and meant to be horrifying but also like this depiction also comes out to be like kind of thoughtful. Yeah. Like having this uh, war veteran uh, turn to uh, this different kind of, of life that would be unrecognizable to the person he was before. Like that's just such a nuanced complex yeah. take <laughs> from, from Mr. Barker. And Pinhead was very significant. Who are, who for- are you calling Pinhead? <laughs> He's very significant for 80s horror and horror in general. As uh, so This is the age of the slasher. This is when we're getting Nightmare on Elm Street. This is when we're getting uh, uh, Friday 13th. We're about to get Child's Play. As previous horror fi- villains tended to be either like these very Michael Myers or, or Jason Voorhees, like near mute killing machines that don't really have a 
personality other than being scary and and unstoppable or these like one-liner kind of Freddy Krueger, like still scary, but also funny kind of thing. Pinhead is neither of those things. He is- Yeah, he's a dude. He's articulate and intelligent. He only speaks when necessary um, and undoubtedly evil, but also having his own like personal moral code, which is another thing that we do not see in 80s horror. 80s horror is very black or white, like- the villain is evil and the heroes are good and the villains will do the bad things and the heroes will do the good things. Uh, Pinhead, like he's not like, you know, like an anti-hero or anything, but uh, he has like a, a a code of honor that he follows. Yeah, he's like almost, uh, it's kind of a bit almost overdone today to have mm-hmm. like the, the uh, like Sounds of the Lamb style, uber yeah. intelligent. Uh, guy who also happens to be a killer, um, and it get com- it gets again complexified by uh, the queer tie-ins, as we talked about last year, like the uh, like describing queer horror characters as like the progression from having them be just kind of dumb, crazy people who happen to use their queerness as like a reason to kill people mm-hmm. to now the like, Oh, actually this person is incredibly smart, like in silence of the lambs, but is definitely gay and, and kills yeah. because he likes to kill. It's just, it's such an interesting, uh, origin for that kind of thing. Yeah. And this is a very deliberate choice on the part of Clive Barker. Um, because he, uh, he said he based a uh, kind of pinhead off of, um, uh, Dracula, um, the original he, gay smart guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he says, uh, "Quote: Part of the chill of Dracula surely lies in the fact that he is very clearly and articulately aware of what he is doing. You feel that this is a penetrating intelligence, and I don't find dumb things terribly scary. I find intelligence scary, particularly twisted intelligent. It's one of the reasons why Hannibal Lecter is scary, ah. isn't he? It's because you always feel that he's going to be three jumps ahead of you, and that's exactly that, like." In the 80s and the early 90s, when we get either these kind of one-liner like comedy villains like Chucky or Freddy Krueger who are still smart but are eventually outsmarted um, yeah. versus Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, where not only are they they mute, but like we, we get an idea, especially in later sequels, of them like it's because they're like mentally they're children or whatever or that like – they're not always aware this is all killing is all they know how to do or whatever. That's very like a leather face thing. Now I think about yeah. it. Um, and that pinhead is neither of those things. Pinhead is totally aware, calculating, knows exactly what he's doing and he's why will scare people. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like we said before, the, his look, uh, was inspired by S and M fetish gear, as well as the punk scene and Catholicism, which like, aren't we all? Oh, that <laughs> phrase. Inspired by S&M fetish gear, the punk scene, and Catholicism. <laughs> um, the iconic pin like design was designed in such a way that the shadows would kind of swirl around his head as he moved in and out of light. Yeah, that um, tracks. And Doug Bradley, who uh, played Pinhead, got so skilled at doing his own makeup that he's credited in some of the sequels and as assistant makeup artist because he could just do them by himself. Uh, um, you and I know, <laughs> and any actors listening know, that that would be such a like stupid but that was probably one of the 
proudest moments of his life. Oh, yeah. Like, even being like an actor in movies that makes like a bunch of money or whatever, you would sit and be like, I got to I got to I got to make up credit. <laughs> I got to make up credit. It's like I was in a show uh, where I was, you know, like a, an actor and like a leading part and had like songs. But I was really yeah. excited because I got an assistant choreographer credit because I helped I, with one song. <laughs> it's the dance. It's dance captain. Yeah. Credit. Um, And like as a makeup artist, I would never give that to an actor because I think it would make their ego explode. Um, yeah. But uh, the makeup took six hours to complete. So to, to learn your own full six hour makeup process uh Props to you there. I know plenty of yeah. actors who couldn't do their own 15-minute makeup process. And, yeah, and for an actor to be able to be like, you can do less work, please. Yeah. Like how awkward, you know, people without huge egos are like, getting your makeup done or getting any kind is like the most awkward thing because it's like, I I just want to go do my job. And yeah. You guys have to do so much work on me. I'm so sorry that I'm not allowed to help you as you're putting yeah, stuff on exactly. my face. Um, so the Hellraiser, this first film went on to spawn a huge franchise with nine sequels as well as a comic book series. Uh, and Pinhead becomes the central character of pretty much all the sequels and spinoffs. He's not the main character of the books. The main character of the books is just a normal dude. He is very much the villain. But um, Pinhead is kind of the character that you keep seeing in all the sequels because he's the iconic yeah. one. Um, the most recent one actually came out in 2018, which is crazy because I do not remember a Hellraiser wow. movie coming out in okay. 2018. Um, and there are several more planned, including an HBO series and a remake coming out on Hulu. The remake was written by Clive Barker, so oh. maybe there is hope. Uh, I don't know, but apparently, uh, Doug, uh, what was his name? Doug Bradley uh, has not. Yeah. Been, it's, it's right there, uh, Adam. It's, it's like two paragraphs up in the I outline. missed it. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, he has. Uh, he said he has not been approached about playing Pinhead in the remakes or the that's a crime. upcoming sequels, which is like after 10 movies, gang. That's kind of an insult. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, obviously, this has barely scratched the surface of Clive Barker's work. In fact, what we've done is taken the three most famous things that he's, he's done and, and just explain them to them. you. Um, Because he literally has tens of more plays and books and other works. Uh, He was famously an executive producer on the film Gods and Monsters, uh, which is a 1998 semi-fictional account of director James Whale's later years. Uh, James Whale, who was famous for directing the original Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and The Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, It won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, and Barker said of his interest in the project, Whale was gay, I'm gay. Whale was English, I'm English. Whale made some horror movies, I've made some horror movies. It seemed as if I should be helping to tell this story, which I know is like a little silly, but I love. That's that's me with Percy Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> me pitching myself to the Percy Jackson casting team. Luke was gay, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> that's like... I have that that makes me sound almost as qualified as Clive Barker to do to yeah. produce this film because I have two of the three of those of those credits. Yeah. By these metrics, you are sixty-six percent able yeah, versus to- Clive Barker. <laughs> um and he's uh which is a great movie, by the way, Gods and Monsters. Uh watch it if you haven't, especially if you like film history or horror history. Uh like horror film history, it's really great. Um he has also had uh, several other successful novels, including The Damnation Game uh, and Magica uh, and The Books of Arabat. 
He's also had a few books come out in the past few years and an unreleased book that I think is still in progress called Deep Hill, which I'm excited about. Um, and he's also a visual artist. And a ton of his work was featured on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Clive Barker, marry me. <laughs> he's so great. Um, and in 2015, Variety reported that he was working on a television series called Clive Barker's Creepypastas, which would feature Adam. Uh, wait, wait, wait. No, no I'm going to break your heart. I'm going to break your heart. for the podcast. I'm, I'm, per- I'm going to break your heart. Uh, there has been no news on this since they announced it. They said That's it once fine. in 2015. He's, just, he's in the content mines. He's really working. <laughs> um, he did say specifically he wanted to adapt Slenderman and Ben Drowned, um, which I guess if you adapted Ben Drowned, you would have to make it about some like you can't he's make also, Ben. Wait, pause the podcast. He's yeah. also handsome. He is handsome. Clive Barker is handsome. <laughs> Clive Barker, marry me. <laughs> um. I guess, like, I would love to see his take on, well, first of all, he, I, he if anyone's going to do a Slenderman movie, make Clive Barker do it, because the last yes. one was terrible, and he would do it well. Um, and Ben Drowned is such, you were talking about it, but I was Googling yeah. Clive Barker's face to see if he was handsome, <laughs> but Ben Drowned is such a wild pull to try to adapt into a visual, like, thing. Especially for him, a, like, how old is he? In his, like, 60s or, or 70s? Yeah, he's 68. Um, uh... To to be like of all the creep pastas I've read, I really enjoy the one about the gay Majora's Mask. <laughs> that makes sense. Majora's Mask is the most Clive Barker Nintendo game. Yeah. So, um, but I was thinking like if Cli- if because Nintendo would never ever give the rights like to Ben Drowned, yeah, to you to make Ben Drowned or something. So you'd have to make it into about into some other video game, but then it loses a lot of its appeal. Yeah. Um, so I'd be interested to see. Uh, what he would do with it. Hopefully that happens. Oh, I, I know we haven't so heard bad. about it in, in over five years, but I really hope he's just really deep in the research minds working on it. Uh, Cause I want to see it. Um, so that is our brief history on Clive Barker to, to uh, kick off uh, pride month. Clive Barker, please come on our show. <laughs> I don't think please we could come on our show and also please marry me. <laughs> um, uh, that again is just kind of like, we we just started to to dig the hole on on queer horror creators and creations this month, uh, and there's going to be a lot more exciting stuff coming your way. And check out uh, Clive Barker's works if you haven't. A lot of his short stories are free online. If you haven't seen at least the first Hellraiser, go watch it. Um, same with Candyman. Um, and go check out his stuff. Not that I have to plug him because he's famous, but go check yeah. out his stuff because it's great. Because <laughs> I want you to enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Great American Scream. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. But the best way to spread the word about the show is to tell a friend. So definitely do that. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. For just $1 a month, you can get early access to every single episode. You get it a day early. This month, we'll be doing some special extra content on the podcast, like the aforementioned commentary track and some other fun stuff so definitely check it out thank you to our current patrons on the man in the fields level or higher thank you to regina ben brie gail joyce melinda and chris wanted to do it do it now okay and then give it off to you. Can you pimp our social media, please? Yes, absolutely. You can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or much more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Please send us your favorite Clive Barker stories, films, short stories, books. Uh, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there's something you would like to hear about in the show, especially for this month, for Pride Month, um, please tweet at us or post. Uh, 
uh, because uh, your suggestion may become a future topic for an episode. Yeah, thank you to Michael Segudo for doing the intro disclaimer and Stevie Viola for doing the intro and outro music. You can find him on Twitter and YouTube. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Who are you calling Pinhead? <laughs> Who are you calling Pinhead? Who are you? Can you give me can you give me three? Can you give me three? One one close, one uh, medium, one far away. Uh yeah. Who are you calling Pinhead? Who are you calling Pinhead? Who are you calling Pinhead? It's it got away from Patrick so fast. It's not Patrick, it's just an old man. (laughs) 